Morning, everyone. My name is Johnny. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, normally, you find me quietly minding my own business over this side of the room somewhere. Um, so this morning, I'm in the unusual position of being in the center here in front of you. Let me start by reading two versions of the same passage. The uh, first one is translated in the King James Bible, and the second one, a more recent version uh, from the message, both from Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And in the more recent translation, it goes like this. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. God's Spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. He sent me to announce the pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the burdened and the battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. So at the beginning of the lockdown, I heard lots of people make grand plans. There was talk of learning the language, learning some new skills. Uh, guitars that hadn't been dusted off for years were dusted off. Pianos were opened. Or there was talk of reading that book that you've been putting off for a long time. But as it turns out, looking back after the fact, I heard recently that on average, those of us who were confined to the house spent an average of 40% of our waking hours doing what? You're right, watching TV. And there was some smashing TV to watch, to be fair. In a moment of unforeseen business genius, Disney launched their own platform on the 24th of March in the UK. And up to date, they've signed 54 million subscribers, people to watch along. You can do the maths at five pound a month. Of course, sports fans got to follow along as Netflix told the story of Michael Jordan's rise to become the greatest of all time. And if you're a fan of Broadway musicals, then you got the chance to see Hamilton earlier than planned on 4th of July, Independence Day. But my favorite discovery has been altogether a little softer than some of these blockbuster shows. This is my choice of TV from the lockdown. Nestled deep inside the British countryside is the repair shop where a team of Britain's most skilled and caring craftspeople rescue and resurrect items their owners thought were beyond saving. Together, they transform the priceless pieces of family history and bring loved but broken treasures and the memories they hold back to life. So when I first stumbled against, across the show, I was blown away by the skills that were on show. The people involved have devoted their lives to learning intricate skills 
of creation and sometimes recreation. They take their time to assess the damage, to undo the damage caused by carelessness or accident or just the slow decline over time. And then they put these treasures back together. And I find it incredible, the skills that they're demonstrating. Now, we have a problem. Those of you who have seen the show are sitting at home, nodding your head, or in the room on Sunday morning thinking to yourself, yep, yeah, I know what he's talking about, or, oh, I haven't seen that one yet. So those of you who have seen the show are at a distinct advantage over those who haven't at this stage. So if you want, I'm more than happy. If you can, you want to pause right now and go and watch an episode or two. You see, I wonder if it might be time better spent because as I watched more episodes what I really love about the show began to unfurl itself to me. I'll be honest, I found it very good for my soul. You see, the real magic in the TV, in this program, is not the transformation to the objects. It's a transformation to the people that bring the objects for repaired. As their prized treasures are repaired, so are the stories and the memories behind the objects that they have brought. The relationships of the owners, of the people who passed the objects to them, or the memories of loved ones lost, or the present reality of what the repair process does for the person, I found and find redemptive. You see, I became aware as I watched that the repair process inspires an experience of repair in the people themselves. And so for that reason, alone in my book, it's truly wonderful and beautiful television and well worth watching. If you haven't seen it, please seek it out. But it wasn't long before I connected that what I was seeing related to some of the stories of repair that we read of in the Gospels. Stories of people who had their lives repaired, restored, made better. I'll leave it for others more qualified than me to tell you about the words that we use to describe those things. Let's call it redemption. Let's call it justification. But what I want to do this morning is just remind you of three simple encounters of stories that are told to us in the Gospels where people entered the repair shop. Let's look at the first one. This is recorded for us in John chapter 5. I'll read this one for you. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 
And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else gets in in front of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Jesus said that he came to set at liberty those who are bruised. 38 years, 38 years this man had battled his physical demons. He couldn't get quick enough into the pool before the others beat him to it. Not only did he have to deal with the frustration of the paralysis that he carried, but of watching other people get their turn. Years of disappointment, of being left behind. And then, in the blink of an eye, it was his turn. Jesus said he came to bind the broken, and he did. Of course, he preached the message of redemption. He alone offered forgiveness of sins. Of course, he taught the scriptures. Of course, he fulfilled the long-given promise. But over and over again, he made things better. In making things better, he went against the religious know-it-alls. He went against the doubters and the naysayers. He just made it a priority to fix what needed fixed. And of course, there are dozens of similar encounters that we could remember together. Similar encounters where people got fixed, where people saw other people get fixed, where people brought people to get fixed. But one of my favorites one of my favorite encounters was with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' job made him wealthy, but his job made him unpopular. It's hard to be liked by people when you keep taking money from them. It's hard to be popular when you're tempted to swindle those you were called to serve. You know, in terms of Zacchaeus, his wealth could probably get him into places. It could probably get him into all those cool places that he wanted to be. But his wealth couldn't guarantee him access to Jesus. And let's face it, his height didn't help either. If the disciples had been able to sell front row seats, they would have done it. I'm pretty sure of it. And Zacchaeus probably would have bought his way to the front row. But as it was, he was driven up the tree to see the Savior. And there he sat, watching from a distance, when his name was called. There's something about hearing your name in a crowd. Imagine the bustle of a train station or a busy street 
in a big city. Or imagine being in an airport in a city halfway around the world. The ambient noise, people coming, going, chatting, the voices, and through the noise you hear your name. Someone in the crowd, when you least expected it, spotted you. Someone who knows you. Someone who knows your name. There's something about hearing your name called in a crowd in an unfamiliar space. You see, Zacchaeus, he didn't need healed. His body didn't need fixed. Zacchaeus needed to be seen. He needed to be included. He needed someone to call his name through the crowd and be with him. His body didn't need repaired, but his soul did. What a moment for Zacchaeus, up in the tree, outside the crowd, to hear his name called. Of course, any guy who ever played football at school knows the feeling. When you line up against that wall with the other guys and you wait for the selector as they work their way down through the list of their preferred footballers and their friends and you desperately hope you're not last to be picked. We all know that feeling of wanting to be picked from the crowd. And then the wave of relief as you suddenly get selected. Zacchaeus spent his whole life in that state, isolated, alone, waiting to be picked out of the crowd, waiting for someone to call his name. And now, at the mere mention of his name, he was at home. He was on the inside looking out. He was the guy everyone was looking at. And there were no doubt muttering about him, whispering about him, talking about him, as he has become the guy on the inside. You see, Zacchaeus needed healed, but it wasn't on the outside. Let's do one more example, and it's here again in front of you. This time from Luke 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. And Jesus heard this, he said, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom 
of God. Just a note at this stage for those of us who keep ourselves on the outside of the repair shop, for those of us who are already perceived to be redeemed, for those of us who don't believe that we need fixed, and for those of us who belong already to God. You see, they were the ones who were quick to complain. Look, he healed on the Sabbath. That's against the law. You can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. Look, he's eating dinner in the house of a sinner. That's immoral. See, a lesson for those of us already in the church. When you finally get selected for that football team and you cross the divide and you're in the gang, you're part of the chosen ones, and you turn 180 degrees and you look back at those poor souls who are still to be selected, what happens? You suddenly suffer short-term memory loss. And you forget what it was like to be standing there moments ago, looking in, wishing that it would be for you. It's impossible to imagine suddenly what it must be like for those poor footballing souls who are now looking at you longingly, hoping you'll remember them when you get to the other side and put in a good word. But you usually don't. You see, the religious followers had forgotten what it was like to be repaired. They'd forgotten the magic in being chosen, in being healed, in being included. They had forgotten so bad that they had no memory that they were once lost, that they had been on the outside. And so often in our church, we worry about following the rules, obeying the laws, Carrying your mat when you're supposed to carry your mat. We want to protect the community. And Jesus, he said, he came to bind the brokenhearted. He came to fix the broken and repair the damage. You see, as Christians, we're told we must behave in a certain way. We must demonstrate morality. We must live a life of salt and light that makes people thirsty. We must be a credible witness that lights the way for others to see the way forward. But so often in this world, it comes across as high and mighty. One of the greatest ways we tell lies to ourselves is in social media. Do you know, when I was a kid, your diary was something that you kept in secret. If any person had found my diary, and my brother and sister spent time looking for it, it would have been the end of the world had one person set eyes on my private thoughts. It would, have, it would have been big, big trouble. But now we put our lives online for everybody to consume and we complain if no one reads them. I'm no expert in this, but when I see carefully curated photos of people's perfect lives, it doesn't resonate with me when I know who they are and how they live. And as people of faith, if any group of people, we should be demonstrating in our lives how we are under repair, not how perfect we are. Not demonstrating how far we've come, but demonstrating how far we have to go. 
Funnily enough, it's a long time since I've seen someone confess their sins on Instagram. You see, if we don't allow people to see our bits that need fixed, then over time they get pushed to the back or sent to the bottom. We put on a brave face or a Valencia filter, and before you know it, we have fooled ourselves that we don't need repair. And in this last example, we have got a good example of a perfect-looking person. Confident that he had kept all the commandments, there is no hidden skeletons in my closet. I have kept the laws since I was a lad. He probably supported all the local charities. He had enough money to buy his way out of most circumstances. But he didn't have enough money to buy his place in eternity. And Jesus says, I don't care how good your life looks. Being good isn't enough. Being obedient isn't enough. An outward appearance of perfection isn't enough. And Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. You see, Jesus went right to the heart of the matter. Are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to sacrifice your advantage and see how it feels to go to the back of the queue? Are you willing to find out what it looks like when you have nothing? You see, Jesus came to bind the brokenhearted, not to babysit the comfortable. You see, it's as if Jesus says to the rich young man, if you haven't come to be repaired, then what are you doing in the repair shop? It wasn't the money that was the danger. It's made clear to us again and again in Scripture. It's not how much money you have, but it's how much you love your money. It's not how much you drink, but how much you love to drink. It's not how much you do something, but how unwilling you are to give it up. But Jesus, he holds it up to the light. He takes a good, long, hard look at us and he says, I can see the damage. I can see the effects of misuse and mishandling. I can see the accidents. I can see the abuse. I can see the cracks of despair and the parts that are worn. And he brings us into the repair shop and he says, let me help you with that. I know how to fix it. At the end of the TV program, there's always a moment of reveal. And as part of the drama and part of the, the redemption in the end, when the, when the people come to collect their object, it's always under a blanket. It's always hidden under a cover so that the craftsman or the craftswoman can pull off the blanket and reveal the object. They do a little bit of a dramatic pause and then they show the people what it's like when they see their object repaired. Now I watch it and I defy you to watch it and not well up with a little bit of pride or a little bit of emotion when you see the reveal. Or a little bit of thankfulness. You see, deep down, we all want to know what it's like to be repaired. 